Well, good morning, friends. My name is Pastor Milo. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad to have you here today. Have you ever been around a person who brags about their kids too much? Uh, They want to tell you how their kids can solve the Rubik's Cube with their eyes blindfolded? Yeah? Or they can't decide between Harvard or Princeton or Yale? Or they want to tell you how their kid single-handedly won the championship game? Or they want to tell you how their kid, this is for younger parents, that their kid walked at five months old? Uh, Or I just don't remember, they slept through the night as soon as we brought them home, you know? (laughs) Raise your hand if you are annoyed by parents who talk about their kids too much. All right. Now look down the row, those of you who are not raising your hands, everyone else knows that you're the parent that talks about their kids too much. Yeah, that's super frustrating. Unless you've got data to back it up. So, this weekend, (laughs) so this weekend, the UB Bulls and NCAA March Madness Tournament broke history by being able to break the 11-6. They're seated that way, and man, the UB had never gone further in the tournament than they had. Uh, Pretty exciting. I know if you were watching the game yesterday, uh, they didn't get any further, but man, they got over that first hump, and it was an exciting game to watch. Uh, Early Saturday morning, I was asleep. All of us were asleep because we didn't think that it would matter. Uh, The UMBC, uh, do you know what their, their names are? The Retrievers. The Retrievers knocked off the number one seed at the Cavaliers. The Virginia is the greatest NCAA uh, breakup, if you will, we've ever seen. And so the reason why I bring that up is I have data to prove here that my two kids are smarter than your two kids. <laughs> if you see here, this is Maya Wilson. Her bracket starts with the Cavaliers and the Retrievers. And she has the Retrievers going on in the second round. In the second uh, edition of this as well, you have Elias Wilson. Elias Wilson has the Cavaliers and the Retrievers, and guess who he has uh, in the second round? He has the Retrievers in the second round. There was 35 million brackets, they were assumed that 35 million, now there's only 300 million people in this country, so 35 million brackets and less than 1% of people had what I'm showing you right here this morning. So, uh, if you're wondering, Maya has the Retrievers winning the entire tournament. (laughs) Elias uh, is a little bit smarter than that. Uh, In the finals, he has the Aggies versus the Aggies. And so, uh, he expects the Aggies to win. So, (laughs) you ever been around someone who brags on their kids a little bit too much? Yeah, that's super frustrating. Those people... Hey, there's a video I want to show you this morning. What you guys doing? We're blowing bubbles. Yeah. Do you see a bubble? I do. Do it again, yeah. Good bubbles, Elias. They good? Blowing some bubbles. Bubbles! Bubbles! Elias, are you eating them? He is eating it. Mmm, good bubbles. Mm hmm. I do them really close to the camera so I can see the bubble. 
I can't do it. Nice to meet you. Get a little soap in your mouth, eh? All right. You guys say bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hey, Maya. They look super cute now. That was about 18 months ago, but I have to tell you, parenting is a little bit more than blowing bubbles and drinking bath soap. There's a few other things that come along the way. And these kids are not always fun to be around. I don't know if you realize that, parents, but kids are not always uh, exciting. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld says, having a two-year-old is like starting a blender without having a top for it. I don't have teenagers, but teenagers will rock your world before 8 o'clock in the morning. And my understanding is you would like to throw them over the neighbor's fence. If you could, you just can't lift them anymore. And when it comes to toddlers, the reality is I would hope that some point, and I've shared this with you before, that Fisher-Price would come out with a taser. Not, not like the one that the cops use, but, you know, just enough to stun them a little bit, knock them off of their feet, and give you a moment to breathe. Maybe that's what Toys R Us did, and that's why they're out of business. <laughs> Eventually, your kids go to sleep. Eventually. And even teenagers, even though you don't realize it, your parents still come in the room, they still open the door, and they still walk over and kiss you on your smushy face because there's something beautiful about a child that you have poured so much time and so much effort into. They're so cute and squishy. You check on them. You just want to make sure they're all right. And they have a very special place in our hearts. Why? Because you love them. You want to squeeze them. You want to hold them. They're your kids. Jesus has a very special place in his heart for kids as well. There's a, a picture that he's going to draw for us today about children. The picture of trust and acceptance. And this is what he wants his followers, his disciples. He says, I want you to be like these little children. He says the kingdom of God is like uh, a bunch of these little children coming to him. So we'll pick up today in Luke chapter 18. So if you want to get there with your Bibles, we're in a sermon series called Journey to Jerusalem. As he travels... As he comes through, Jesus is going to teach and bless children, teach us about a childlike faith. He shows us how riches will block one's coming into the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 18, this journey to Jerusalem. Jesus starts in Luke chapter 9 and sets his face for Jerusalem. And then in Luke chapter 19, we find that Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. We're almost there. There's a few more things that Jesus wants to teach us. So if you've got your white sheet of paper this morning, that's an outline for where the message is going today. And we've got some fill-ins for you to begin with this morning. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Here's the first point I have for you today. It is a little child's big inheritance. A little child's big inheritance. Beginning in verse 15 of Luke chapter 18. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. 
But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone will not receive the kingdom of God, circle this, underline it, like a little child. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, Jesus was a rabbi. He was known as a teacher. He was beginning to get a following. It was common for people to, be, to bring their children, their little children. Their parents would be bringing the children to the rabbi that he might pray for them, that he might teach them, that he might give them a blessing, pray for their future. As a side note, we have a baby dedication coming up, Mother's Day. So if your child wants to be dedicated here in the church, we do that in an intentional way, in a very similar way what they were looking for here That'll be on Mother's Day to be able to have your children dedicated before the Lord. It might be a baby that might be a 13-year-old. That's all right. We want you to raise them in the way of the Lord. Mother's Day, there's your commercial for that. It's very common for parents to do that, uh, to bring them to the rabbi and he would pray for them. But in doing so, the disciples are looking and say, your timing is bad. Uh, this is not the appropriate time. Jesus is doing some healing right now. Jesus is doing some teaching. Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem. He's got a focus right now. And this is not a good time for him. And they start to turn people away. But see, there's your next villain. Little children don't wait for perfect conditions. Little children don't wait for perfect conditions. Little children don't wait for just the right time to learn how to roll over. They do it when you've got them on the bed and they have never rolled over ever before. You've never had to worry about it. And then now you're the parent whose kid bonked his head on the ground because they rolled off the bed. They don't wait for perfect conditions. Little kids don't wait for the right time to start using a marker. You didn't know they could take the top off of the marker. But now they do. And you have the evidence to prove it because their name or their mark is on the wall in your living room. Or they cry for mommy just at the wrong time. In the middle of a service like that, all of a sudden you hear, Mommy! Wrong time. But secondly, little children aren't swayed by public opinion. Little children are not swayed by public opinion. If you've ever been in a grocery store with your own child or with someone else's child with a total complete meltdown laying on the ground, rolling around, flopping all over the place, they do not care what the public thinks about this situation. You, as the parent, care much more deeply. Or if you've ever seen uh, a little girl, I've raised little girls, so I've seen this a number of times, dressed as a princess. It's three degrees out, and they will not wear stockings or shoes to save their lives, and they're going to go somewhere and eat pizza, but they're going to wear that costume. Thirdly, little children hold a special place in the kingdom. They hold a special place in the kingdom. And here's really the uncluttered simplicity of a child's heart that Christ is calling us to. He didn't say, bring them to me. He actually says, don't keep them from coming to me. You find more often than not, when children are exposed to Jesus Christ, they come running. When they're exposed to Jesus Christ, they come running. When you get him in the presence of Jesus, they go straight to him. And they jump into his lap. And he says, don't keep them from me. Little children belong with their loving heavenly father. 
This is the kind of following Jesus is seeking. In the story we're about to read, we see the complications and the tangles of the life that we have created for ourselves as adults, and it's really a lot more simple than that. The adult experience is complicated things. So you have a little child's big inheritance, and we transition this to see, in contrast, a rich man's poor plan. A rich man's poor plan. Moving on to verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded, why do you call me good? Jesus answers, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Now, in the Mark account of this passage, Mark chapter 10, we see this man called the rich young ruler. So these signify something very specific. They're signifying that he is wealthy, signifying that he is young and maybe foolish. However, according to everything that people knew in that culture, this was one of the good guys. He was the backbone. They were the backbone of society. They were patriotic. They were honest in business. There was no doubt that this guy would be faithful to his wife, that he would uh, be a regular church attender. I'm sure he went to all the PTA meetings and was involved in the community. This was an upstanding citizen, this young leader. And today he would be a seminary professor or he would be a deacon or even an elder in a church like ours. This is the man who is standing in front of Jesus. He says, uh, you know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. You see that contrast. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You see, this man incorrectly assumed that he had the perfect conditions. That's a fill-in for you today. This man incorrectly assumed perfect conditions. You see this rich young man, and even the disciples, as they are watching this happen, they, they assume that he was especially blessed, that his business or his favor before as a young man who is wealthy, that he had been favored before the Lord. And he was pleased, spiritually speaking, to be able to say, and he went through thing by thing, to be able to say that he had fulfilled and kept the law. It appears here that this young man, this young rich man, really believed that his salvation was probable. When he says, how can I inherit eternal life? He expected a very exacted response that he knew that he already had the answer to. Secondly, the man was deeply affected by public opinion. How many of you are fans of the dentist? I don't know if we have any dentists. I have to be careful before I get people angry at me this morning. The dentist, when you go to the dentist, they will do their cleaning, but then they'll go through and they'll take this metal stick and poke you with it and say, does this hurt? You basically should walk in ahead of time and say, 
of what's about to happen, the answer is yes, it hurts. Poke, 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 poke. And they work your way all the way around the mouth and they give you a number and make you feel awful until you go home and brush your teeth again. But as we go into it, many people believe that the way that God is doing here is he's going to uh, poke and prod and get to the root of the issue here with this young rich man. See, at the end, end time, God is going to measure us. But a lot of times we get this feeling that it's going to be our good deeds versus our bad deeds. And if our good deeds have a lot of weight over here, and if our bad deeds are, are not so bad, then everything will balance out. Everything will work out. And basically, this is what this young rich ruler has done. He has tipped the scales in his favor. And Jesus just pokes at the heart issue. You see, it's surprising how many people consider themselves Christians and think they'll make it into heaven because of the way that those scales look. And when you look at this young leader, perhaps one of the saddest verses in Scripture, in the Mark version of this as well, it's in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. It says, he was sad at this word, and then he went away. He walked away. He walks away from salvation, which is right in front of him. He walks away from Jesus, the Savior, the creator of all the universe, is standing right in front of him. But because he thinks he's got his scales figured out, he walks away from him. You see, the man found Thirdly, difficult entry into the kingdom. The man found a difficult entry into the kingdom. <coughs> Jesus, as he talks through this with his disciples, makes it very clear that the key to salvation is not whether or not a person has possessions or things, or whether a person had let anything stand in front of their relationship with God, that that would be the key, that their relationship with Jesus Christ was the most important. You see, we need to understand that salvation is not on our own. It's not by works which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. We are not able to put God first in our lives unless we have God to help us put God first in our lives. And with God, all things are possible. He gives this illustration of a camel going through the eye of a needle. If you've looked at this passage before or studied it before, there, there is an understanding that there is a place uh, in that area that would be the eye of the needle where camels actually had to come through the town uh, to be able to get into the town through the city wall. And they had this one space that they, uh, some commentary would say would be the eye of the needle. It was very difficult to get your animals through that eye. Whether it's that or it is the literal eye of a needle, and Jesus is saying it is harder for the rich man to get through the eye of the needle as a camel, both of them are extreme. And C.S. Lewis talks about this, and he says, whether the camel is going through a needle or whether he's going through a narrow walkway, if a camel goes through the eye of a needle, the camel will be significantly changed. And when we look at this passage, the only way that the young rich ruler is going to be able to see the kingdom of heaven is if he is going to significantly change his behavior. If he is going to significantly change the way that he has balanced his whole life out without God, without a need for a Savior. So you have a little child's big inheritance. You have a rich man's poor plan. He had it all figured out. 
But thirdly, you have a grown man's childlike heart. A grown man's childlike heart. Verse 1 of chapter 19, so probably turn a page over there. We meet Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there was by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. So Jesus entering Jericho. Again, if you're following the map, he's getting very close to Jerusalem now. This is one of the last cities he's going to come in contact with before he reaches Jerusalem. And he meets Zacchaeus. It says he is a chief tax collector and very wealthy. Tax collectors, they were the scum of society. Whatever you don't like about society, that's what a tax collector was. If you don't like bureaucrats or high-ranking CEOs or government officials or Duke fans or Carolina fans, that's all kind of in this mix here. These guys were not just what we think of as an IRS agent. I have to talk carefully about taxes in this room too because some of you are tax preferred. It's not what we think about as an IRS agent. No, it's much, much unpopular than that. You see, tax collectors were traitors to their people. If you've looked at this before, the Romans ruled the area with an iron fist. They had the authority to crush any opposition that would come up. And so what would happen is instead of going out and trying to uh, get money from people, they would hire the tax collector to be one of the people in that area. And so the tax collector was a Jew. He was Jewish. And he had all the authority of the Roman rule behind his taxation. But what would often happen is that tax collector would set his own rates. And then he would still have all the authority of the Roman rule behind him. And so he would sell out his own people, first of all, to the Romans. Then he would set his own rates so that he could take a cut, and the Roman government could care less as long as they got their dollar amount. And they would come after the tax collector if he didn't provide. And so they hated the tax collector. They were thieves who used Roman's brutal power to really take money from their own brothers and sisters and family. They were so untrustworthy that they were not permitted to speak or be a witness in a trial. Their testimony in court was worthless. They were not allowed to be a witness. That's the baseline here of who we're talking about when we see Zacchaeus. Verse 1 again, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man, where is he passing through? To Jerusalem. That's where he's going. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. So he's the top dog, chief tax collector, and was wealthy. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus. You come down is what I want to say, but it's not. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I will stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus responds to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save 
the lost. You see, Zacchaeus refused to wait for perfect conditions. Zacchaeus refused waiting for perfect conditions. He is a successful, well-known businessman in the city. He is a person of honor, and yet he is sprinting ahead of the crowd, climbing a tree in his full business attire, if you will. He's climbing a tree like a child so that he can get up and see this man, Jesus. That was ridiculous to the people around him. He had just made an utter fool of himself. Secondly, Zacchaeus tried changing the public opinion. Zacchaeus tried changing the public opinion. Check this out in verse 7. All the people saw this, saw him climbing the tree and coming down and meeting Jesus. Jesus knows him by name, calls him by name because he was well known in the area. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus is a leader. He understands what's going on here. And look what he responds immediately. He stood up public and he says, Lord, here, I now give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Do you want your IRS agent to get your attention? Pay you back four times the amount that they took from you. He's got all of their attention. Why? Because he wants to change the public opinion of what they think about him, what they think about Jesus, what they think about this movement that is going to Jerusalem where Jesus, the Messiah, was going to rule and reign in a very different way than he expected. But he was doing all that he could to change that opinion. He speaks up against the crowd. And in doing so, thirdly, Zacchaeus gains simple access to the kingdom. Simple, direct access to the kingdom. Jesus points out the salvation of Zacchaeus, not because of the grand gesture that he had made, but because of his childlike heart. It was not because he had made this big moving gesture. His simple and direct response to Jesus, the Son of Man who came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus points out that Zacchaeus was already a son or a child of Abraham. That wasn't what saved him, no. And all he had done did not save him. It was the other side, that he was now being saved by the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, who had come to seek and to save what? the lost. If you were in the electives the last couple weeks, Brian taught, there's a, a parable that leads right up into this, this, this contrast, this parable of Jesus tells this parable about two men who would come to worship and come to pray. And the first one is what? He is a Pharisee. And the second one is what? He is a tax collector. And the Pharisee looks around and he says, well, thank God that I'm not like these people. And the tax collector says, woe is me, I'm undone, for I am a sinner. God, I repent. And what happens here, that parable is the foreshadowing of what we see right here laid out in front of us. This contrast of these two rich men. Now all of us have probably observed childish behavior. Not only in young children, but that's what we expect out of young children, but also in adults. 
which is unfortunate and also causes us a lot of times to roll our eyes at what we are experiencing. We came into this world helpless, and we are expected, a baby is expected that everything be about them. Children must be taught, they should even be trained up to be giving, confident, caring, and centered on other people. So growing old is an automatic process, but growing up is not. And so what happens is you've got people who are self-centered. You've got people that think the whole world revolves around them, and we call that childish behavior. But what we see is childlikeness, on the other hand, is what we see here. That's often paired with positive perception of innocence, as well as a posture of trust in God and others. People who have a childlike mentality sometimes described as playful, creative, but generally because they're unselfish and they are teachable. When discussed greatness, Jesus, he talks about, he said, it was, he was asked the question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What does he do? He calls a child over. And he says, truly I say to you, unless you are converted to become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself, like this child that he had in front of me, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, the rich ruler, the rich young ruler, he had childish behavior. And Zacchaeus, wealthy Zacchaeus, had a childlike heart. Do you see the difference between the two? He had a childlike heart. I've seen this demonstrated personally with my father. He has a childlike heart. I've seen it demonstrated a few different ways. He was moving to South Carolina. The first grandkid, our, our son, our daughter, was born. He decided to move down and, and move there with us. He literally, he, he had lived on a farm, 300 acres, rented like a 600-acre farm his whole life, and he's going to move down to the suburbs of South Carolina, and that was going to make him crazy. And so we took him to some different neighborhoods. We took him to different apartments, took him to different places, some houses he could rent, different things like that. And I found out he was there for two days, he didn't tell me until afterwards. I found out that dad's plan was this. He went over to the local small town airport and he paid someone $100 to take him up in a plane. And he just flew around the area and decided where he wanted to live. So that looks good over there. There's, there's grass over there. I can see some space. I'm going to go over there. So then he got in the car and he drove down the roads that he figured that was. And he saw some people sitting on the front porch. He pulled in the driveway, walked up to the front porch, and he asked them, he said, I would really like to live around here. Is there anywhere uh, that I could live or rent here? And they said, well, actually, uh, I guess our daughter's house is across the street, and she's moving if you'd like to rent that. Are you kidding me? Like when he told me that story, I said, Dad, you've wasted $100. You've wasted, how dumb are you, Dad? And he said, well, I just figured if God wanted to find me a place to live, then he would point it out to me. And so he drove, do you understand, he drove to the driveway of the house that he was going to live in for the next three years. He just had faith. He had a child's faith that said, God will show me. Dad, you have to do an internet search. Oh, come on. So give me a break. So he rented a plane. But God showed him. God demonstrated it. A childlike faith. 
Rich young ruler, childish behavior. It was all about him. It was focused on him. Zacchaeus, a childlike heart. Here's the litmus test for you this morning. Do you find yourself waiting for perfect conditions before you'll act and follow God's calling in your life? Do you find yourself swayed by the public opinion about what you're going to do, what God is calling you to, the challenge that God has made, to step forward when he has said, this is the day of salvation, you come and you follow me. You find yourself swayed by public opinion. Thirdly, do you follow Jesus with a childlike heart? Ushers, if you'll come forward this morning, each week we give you an opportunity to respond Yes, financially, what God is calling you to do. This is our opportunity to give to what God is doing here as a church. But we also want to give you the opportunity to respond to what God is doing in your heart this morning. And very specifically, I want you to hear this this morning. When we get connection cards back each week, do you know how many children turn in connection cards? A large number. There's smiley faces. There's hearts. There's some that say, I think my daddy's the best pastor in the world. I like that one. This morning, would you write something down that God is doing in your heart today? Just respond. Respond to that prompting. Don't worry about public opinion. Don't worry about perfect conditions. Have a childlike heart. God is calling you this morning. Will you respond? Write something down. Drop something in the offering plate. Come and talk to us after the service. See what God will do. He says that the kingdom of heaven is for those who have the heart of a child. And he demonstrates it with these two rich men. And one of them was not worried about making a fool of himself because he had the heart of a child. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time. Lord, I pray that you would give people the guts to respond to what you're doing in their hearts this morning. We know that you're at work. Your word is alive and active. Lord, give us hearts of a child. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.